0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and
1: present. Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Today we are speaking with Catherine Lasky, the author of the 1984 Newberry Honor, Sugaring Time. I'm Jenny.
2: And I'm Marcy.
1: And today we're talking with Ms. Catherine Lasky.
2: Hi. Well, it was a long time ago, that Newberry. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I can't even remember what year it was, you know, because you write the book, and I remember, (laughs) I'll tell you this, when I was writing the book, I was pregnant with our second child, and by the time I got the Newberry, she was two years old. Oh, Oh, wow.
0: So one thing we wanted to ask, and this is kind of a frivolous question, but um, during our podcast, we do uh, an adult beverage kind of tied into the book. Um, that we sip on while we're discussing the book. And we've actually already done sugaring time, but we were wondering if you have a favorite um, adult beverage.
2: Not really. I kind of like them all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you have a particular interest in maple uh, sugar?
2: Well, we have a home in Vermont, so that's in the center of maple of the country up there. And so we'd see people doing it, and there were a lot of interesting things up in Vermont. As a matter of fact, I think, I might get it mixed up, but I did it, we did another book called The Weaver's Gift. Yeah, it was before sugaring time. And because there was a woman who, up there, Carolyn Fry and her husband, and they raised sheep, and she... Um, they had them sheared, but she spun the wool, um, you know, into yarn and all that. And um, so we did a book very similar in format to Sugaring Time. And then we, I think once again, them, we heard about this family that did sugar, maple sugaring in the old-fashioned way. Like, they go out um, with into the woods, and, the, and they went on a, like, horse-drawn sort of sleigh and so they wouldn't tear up the woods. It was all very environmentally friendly and so we thought, well, that would be a neat process to kind of document for young readers and so that's, you know, that's often how it goes. One book leads to the other and um, we were in this particular geography of Vermont and um, this Decided to do it. So that was, it wasn't that, you know, I just love maple syrup or anything. Um, Oh, and then the other thing, and this is a little weird, and I have to be kind of delicate how I say this, but um, when my son was, let's see, when he was about four years old, and it was, we were not. In Vermont, we were at our home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we both got really, really sick and It was very, very cold. We had some terrible flu and it was really cold in our house, and the warmest place to be was down in the kitchen by our wood burning we had a wood burning stove as well as a regular you know gas stove and so we just flopped down on the kitchen floor with blankets and pillows and there was, I had books in the library, and his favorite book, and I will go unnamed, but it was about maple syrup and making um, candy out of maple syrup on snow by boiling up the milk. And he loved that book, and he made me read it like, oh God, <laughs> 20 times a day. And I just, I could not figure out why he loved that book so much because I did not think it was a very good book. And I thought I'd just scream, and I—I I, I could write a much better book than this. <laughs> and um, the funny thing was, so then he kept badgering me that we had to try and do this, make sugar, the um, maple syrup, sugar on snow, um, which just sounds delicious. And the only problem was um, we didn't have that much snow around. But at the, t- I was just so desperate. I said, okay, okay. So I, we both were like running fevers of one hundred and one, and I just bundled him into a snowsuit over his pajamas. I got into whatever I wore over my pajamas. We heated up some maple syrup on the stove, and we went out and we poured it on the ground because I just thought I have to do this, else I'm just going to kill him. I cannot <laughs> take another minute of it, and so we did it, and there was a lot of dirt and old dry grass in the Sugar on Snow, but we did it, and he shut up, (laughs) and then that idea lingered with me about, I could do my husband, Chris Knight, and I could do such a beautiful book uh, about this, and so then, you know, a few years later, we did it. (laughs) Was it delicious? Oh, yeah, yeah, and we kept making it, you know, for the kids, and we got really big snow uh, up there, and we had a deck, and so we'd go out um, where there was a nice blanket of pristine snow, and just dribble it onto the snow, and and eat, it. and it, it's really good because oh. it free- freezes instantly. So it's almost like tossy or something. Oh
0: wow, that sounds it's so
2: good. Yeah,
1: we very rarely get snow in Atlanta, but we will have to try that the next time we do it. So I, I am curious, um, when you did the Sugaring Time book, were you able was your son able to go with you guys and actually maybe off camera participate? Oh yeah, he came along. He's
2: in some of the photographs. Oh, he is? The other family had three kids. Mm-hmm. So he was the youngest. He was about four I think when we went. He's now forty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: memory um in particular that stands out about writing sugaring
2: time? The memory I remember most is that we, we did this on skis. Oh, and wow. so <laughs> I Yeah, we did it on skis. He would take the wagon at certain points. You know, I should have I should have the book right here to refresh my memory. But we would follow on skis. And that's what I guess if there are any pictures of our son Max, it mustn't have been when we were skiing out into the woods to where the taps had been put into the trees um because he wasn't skiing yet but sometimes i think chris would take him on his back or something but not when he was shooting maybe it was when we were back at their house there might be i i don't i doubt if there's a picture of him in the book there were three kids in the book i mean their children but i remember skiing and i was pregnant <laughs> so and i was puffing through the Oh, and I, you know, had my notebook with me and I'd write down, try to catch some dialogue and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so, uh, that's, that's one particular memory. I'm thinking that I was not, let's see, our daughter was born in August and this was March. So I wasn't really that pregnant yet, I guess, because, um, but I, I remember my my snow outfit or my ski seats, a you know, little tight around the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's mostly it. And then just, you know, working on it, refining that, and um, working with Chris on the pictures. And that's, you know, when you... We've been several photo books together, my husband and I, and then, then that's different, of course, doing when the illustrator is not your husband, but um, Chris might say to me, you know, I have this great picture here. I really want to use it. Can't you write something that (laughs) there's, that would give an excuse for using this picture? And that's the way, you know, we've done 17 picture books. I don't know how many picture books we've done together. Maybe not 17, but we have a good way of working together. We haven't done a picture book together in years, so.
1: Do you think that um, do you think that's one of the reasons why you have so much you've done so much nonfiction that's based on nature and and kind of the natural world? Well, possibly
2: uh, that led me into it, but you know I'm just so sort of interested in the nonfiction side of of life, um, and um, you know I just have a lot of questions, and i like I love doing research, so you know, that that's fun to do of course, actually, I have to do as much research for my um, fiction books as I do for my non fiction books so yeah but um possibly and i always I was never a very terrific science. Student. It sort of scared me. Well, they taught it in a very anemic way when I was in grade school and even high school. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was ridiculous. And when I got to college, I was sort of really scared of taking any science. But I did take, I had to take a biology course and bio and z- zoology. And I was sort of interested, but I never felt like I was really a great time. So I, I didn't think that I could, you know, pull off majoring in science. I just took the bare minimum requirements. I think it was after college, I relaxed a little bit and say, hey, I don't have to get a grade on this. I don't have to take a test. And I started reading and just, and then I remember when my daughter was about two years old. And so my son at that time was seven years old. We lived in Cambridge. And I just thought, you know, I'm just, up to my neck and diapers and all of that. And when I'm not doing that, I'm I'm writing these other books, but I thought I need to do something to get out of half. And so um, I was really close to Harvard, so I started auditing some science courses at Harvard. Everybody was so surprised, and they said, oh, do you want to, you know, audit so-and-so who's a foremost something or other in American literature or, do Shakespeare. i say, I've done all that. <laughs> you know, I did that as an undergraduate. I'm going to take all the courses I was scared to take and just be an auditor and not have to take a test. <laughs> and I began with I started auditing Stephen Jay Gould, who was just unbelievable. Um, what was it called? History of the Earth. <laughs> and it's encompassed geology, evolution, Everything. And he was just such, um, I don't know if you knew of him, he died 15 years ago probably, but he was a great, I guess you could say, kind of amalgamator of all this and philosopher of science. And it was just a great place to begin. So, yeah, so that's how I started getting really into nonfiction.
0: Obviously, you researched your books just so intensively. Do you have a favorite of your uh, research experiences?
2: Well, it depends. Um, certainly in nonfiction, I loved the rainforest the most beautiful, beautiful in, the, in the world. Um, the one the canopy of the rainforest. It was at a time when everybody was, a lot of people were doing rain. Books just all over the place, and um, I just decided. And we had taken a trip with. The, um, by this time, the kids were much older, ten and fifteen. We'd gone to the Galapagos, and then there was this thing where we could do this rainforest expedition. And so I just found it very interesting and such a complex environment ecosystem. And although it seems odd, the part that interested me the most, and it's odd because I have such a fear of heights, was a canopy. And so you could climb up this ladder that wound up through a kapok tree way, way up into the canopy, and you'd see birds and monkeys and just all sorts of place. And maybe it was because I was so scared once I was up there to come down again, but I sat up there for a couple of hours, <laughs> and I thought, why hasn't anybody just done a book that just focuses on the canopy? Because there was just such a richness there. I couldn't believe it. So um, I think that was my favorite research experience for a nonfiction book. Yeah.
0: And what was it like going yeah. to the Arctic for your new series?
2: Oh, cold. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was great. Too. I was, um, of course, it's a totally different landscape from the canopy of the rainforest. Uh, needless to say, it's very really vast. It's so vast, and it's so barren, and it it seems empty, but it really isn't once you start kind of noticing things. And I found just indescribably beautiful um, the light, everything, and so. I really liked that a lot, you know yeah you know, got a lot out of it i- I find ice very very fascinating,
1: so um, when you went out, were you on a like a mixture of a boat and on land, or no, there was everything was frozen
0: mhm
2: um, and um which made it you know split. I mean, all the land, the tundra of course, was we went in these things called polar rovers or these big, really comfortable buses that you they just kinda of rolled on out there and you could see the bears and you could see Arctic fox and the light changing and birds and all that. Um but we were at the end if we come a little bit earlier The Hudson Bay wouldn't have been so solidly frozen, so we would have seen more bears up close. But as soon as the water freezes, they go out. The bears go out on the hunt on the ice to hunt seal, and they, you know, still what's called still hunting. They wait by seal breathing holes. And then if a seal pokes his nose up and take a breath of the air, they snatch him. Hmm. And so most it was mostly frozen, so they had mostly gone out there. But they, the tour company, which was um, Natural Habitat, they felt so, sorry for us, and so they um, normally it would have cost five hundred dollars for each of us to go out in a helicopter over the ice, but they gave us that for free. So we spent a whole afternoon in a chopper just swooping over <laughs> oh, wow. the frozen frozen Hudson Bay. Oh, it was really neat. You'd see a mom uh, pull over out there with her cubs tumbling around and see them sort of poking their noses out of the dens. I didn't see a seal kill, but, um, yeah, you could see the remnants of one. I remember seeing. Red splashes of snow on the uh, ice, um, but it was it was really neat. Yeah.
1: As this was, you know, published in 1983, and of course this won an honor in 1984. We were curious about, you know, was there was there buzz? Like, was there such a thing as Newberry buzz during that time? Did you have any idea that Um, it was being considered?
2: No, I didn't. Uh Uh-uh. Not at all. Um, And I don't... I I don't think back then there there was so much buzz. Now there's always kind of buzz. Mm -hmm. I do remember before that book, my editor had called me to tell me there was buzz about my novel, The Night Journey. But... That didn't happen. <laughs> so, um, but, um, but there wasn't. No, I first of all, I think. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was the first non-fiction, or photo-illustrated book that won a mm-hmm. New Honor.
0: I think it may well have been. But that's
2: something. That's something you could check on. But afterwards. There were ones. I mean, Russell Friedman, yeah, um, and some other people had had either gotten newberries or Newberry honors. So it, it was kind of out of the blue for for me, really.
0: What was it like to get that phone call?
2: Well, as I said, it was a long time ago. I do <laughs> remember. I I don't know. I just um. The, this nice librarian lady and I can't remember and she just said I just want to tell you your, your book is a Newberry honor and, and I um, said oh, I think I was still in bed I called kind of early <laughs> and I started kind of hopping around or something and then I remember um, I told my best friend she's down here now in, in her own house uh, we're in Key West and she said, well, this calls for champagne. And she came over in the afternoon with a bottle of champagne. And I, we sat in my study. I, was, um, I love my study. And I had this red and white striped couch. And we both drank a glass of champagne. And, you know, it was really fun. And I, I also remember that there was something wrong with our phone line back then. It was with the whole neighborhood. And when I won that award, it was for, you know, Macmillan, which no longer exists, existed then. I mean, they were bought by Simon & Schuster, I think. I remember the president of Macmillan called me up to congratulate me, and I had to keep apologizing for the crackly interference on the line. <laughs> and, you know, then, you know, I went to... uh I went to the, it was in Texas, I think, that year. That's where they presented. And, of course, Beverly Cleary won for mm-hmm. Dear Mr. Henshaw. So that was really exciting. And I just I just love that book.
1: It is. It's a great book. I know she, she
2: recently had a 100th birthday. Um,
1: I believe she's 102. Um, we Good lord. Yes, we've been trying to get in touch with her, but she keeps being asleep. So, which is totally, I mean, she deserves every nap. Did you have any favorites um, from over the years that you can recall?
2: Of Newberry Mm books? Well, certainly Lois's. um, They are great. And I love Tuck Everlasting, it won, didn't it?
0: Um. No, she had, um, Natalie Babbitt had a different book. That it was, was Neenock Rise. Neenock Rise, mm-hmm. yeah. Although I'm shocked that Tuck Everlasting didn't.
2: Wait, you mean Tuck never, Everlasting didn't win? Mm-mm. I always well, here's excited. what I always say. What won the year that Charlotte's Web did not win? Of course, yes. <laughs> that is, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, it, it's not always the best book. In my opinion it, 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 and I mean they're probably wonderful ones, but i I can be no judge because i I don 't read many children 's books, but I think that there's passion involved in selecting the very books I remember once a, a poetry book had never won, and then you know the person who headed up that committee she, that that librarian was a huge. Passionate poetry fan. And so, so that was good that they had a poetry book when It was uh, William Blake's Inn, I think. Oh, we love that one. One. That was a neat book. Yeah. And the poetry had been overlooked for years.
0: The two of us are in a, a mock Newberry club here in Atlanta, and we recently attended our annual meeting. And it was very interesting to see how the choices. Evolved from the shortlist to the winner because of who was more willing to talk passionately about them. So it, it does. I'm sure the committee preferences um, make a big difference.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you feel like getting the Newberry
2: Honor um, changed your career? It probably did, but I'm not sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know, something like that. First of all, I write across so many different genres that um, I, it, it, it's kind of hard to determine. But sure, it did. I mean, you know, it gets my name out there and stuff like that.
0: But you've, of course, won so many awards and written so many books.
2: I won the National Jewish Award twice and a few other ones. and. Um, so it's sort of hard to categorize in that sense. You know, but I'm sure it helped. You know, How could it not? But there are plenty of authors who are very successful, hugely successful, and their books haven't won awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at Veronica Roth or somebody like that. I don't know, maybe your books have won awards. Uh, but there's slews of YA authors who just sell a zillion books now, and they don't necessarily win awards.
0: Mm-hmm. I work in a children's bookstore with a, a fairly good young adult section, and um, so I, I end up reading a lot of them, and a lot of them are just spectacularly well written.
2: Yeah, and they're tackling subjects that are really difficult and hard, and I mean, look at all the um, gay literature that's coming in. That's wonderful. I mean, gay kids must feel so lonely, and for them to be able to pick up a book and have an emotional experience that has to be kind of comforting, anyway, that's just so such a worthy thing. Mm-hmm. I think
1: and normalizing in a lot of cases, too.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed that Scholastic, that's my main publisher, they are launching a new YA line, and, and that's, that's great. I mean, oh, my God, and with this massacre in Florida, I mean, they just need all the help they can, the survivors of that. Yeah. And then, of course, that wonderful Angie Oh, okay. oh Angie
1: Thomas, yeah. They the hate you, you give. give.
2: Oh How wonderful that she wrote a book like that. I haven't that one I'm going to read. I haven't read it, mm-hmm. but I've read all about it.
1: It's wonderful. The main <laughs> the main character is yeah. really really, really believable as a character and as a teen character. And I I just love that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I do too. But as I said I I read mostly adult stuff, <laughs> grown up stuff. <laughs> yeah.
1: Does anything stand out to you about the Newberry ceremony in particular? Any just little memory? You mean, when I was there,
2: mm-hmm. when you were well, in Texas. I'll tell you one thing, yeah, I was in Texas. I'll tell you one. Thing. Before I went, once every librarian that I knew called me up and, and said, "What are you wearing?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "I don't know. I don't know." But you know, I well, back in those days. Um, well, I was just so thankful I didn't have to give a speech. You just kind of stood up. They didn't even make, nowadays, they, I think they have a medal that they give you that, you know, says Newberry Honor. But, and you have to kind of walk up there. But I just had to stand up at the, the table where I was sitting, which was just fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just felt kind of. You know, they have that, where the winners sit up in the Newberry Caldercott, people on um, that stage, and everybody watch you eat.
1: <laughs> oh, that <sounds> horrible.
2: <laughs>
1: that doesn't sound like a prize or an honor.
2: It's a punishment. <laughs> yeah, and they do, you know, they serve wine and everything. Well, I was so scared I wouldn't even have a swallow of wine until after I stood up. Um, so... You know, it's just one of those big ceremony things. I've never been a very into big ceremony. I get nervous, sort of stage I mean, I can speak, I've spoken all over the place. But it's a little different than an award ceremony. So, but, it, you know, I remember it and all that. I, I do remember we took our kids, not we took our kids in the babysitter, so they didn't come to the Newberry dinner. <laughs> we were um, staying in this fancy hotel in Dallas, I guess. Yeah, it was Dallas. And so, you know, you're, you're there for a few days, and um, you know, the babysitter wouldn't mind the kids, but we'd be with them. So I had to come there. I was really excited because Meribah, um, I bought her a really pretty dress. To wear for something. I mean, she wasn't going to any fancy dinner. <laughs> it would take away. But anyhow, we came, and I was I was going to meet my editor and um, the person who was in charge of marketing and a few other people in the bar, and they said, oh, you know, bring the kids down. So you know, Max was in his little bow tie and jacket, and Mary was in just just adorable dress. And the bar was sort of it was well, it spilled out into the lobby and. Um, I don't know whether you, knew, you know who Charlotte Zolotow was. Oh, yes. She, she was a very famous editor mm-hmm. and um, at Harp, HarperCollins. And Bill Morris was the school and library marketing person. And they were sitting at this coffee table in the lobby, and they both were drinking martinis, and they were Texas-sized martinis. I mean, they, they were the most gigantic martini glasses I'd ever seen. Of course, it's Texas. And they had the biggest olives I'd ever seen in them. And I and just loved olives. And her eyes sat on that. She tore right across that poppy, plunged each one hand in each martini <laughs> glass, and got the without Spilling without spilling them, and she was she was two years old, and oh my god! Well, they thought it was a riot. They were such good sports about it. It was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd say that that was my um, most enduring Newberry memory. That's a pretty (laughs) great (laughs) two-year-old dad. Yeah, yeah. The new book is called Bears of the Ice, and it sort of um, takes up that world of Gahool, and it's set in a very northern, northern section, and it's it's about a tyrannical group of bears that, you know, want to rule the world. And there is something called an ice clock. And it's very, in some ways, um, brave new worldish science fiction. It's, it's very Orwellian. Hmm. Uh, and they kind of worship this clock. And, but it's, it's a false god. And through that false faith, they are manipulating creatures. And, of course, it starts out with two little cubs who are orphaned. Um, But I don't want to give away too much. (laughs) It comes out, I think, February 27th. Look at my website. And then I just completed the second one, which will be out in the fall. And I'm just working on the third one. If you go to my website, and then the Scholastic website has a whole bunch of stuff about it. They have, well, that video of us in the Arctic But they they put up all my research books, because I, not all of them, I mean, I use more than a hundred book, research mm-hmm. books, but we gave a list of my top, I don't know, eight or something, and... Then there's an interview with me and the woman who went writes the Foxcraft books. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of really good stuff on that Scholastic website.
1: To close us out, uh, you were telling us that your daughter, Miraba she has a new podcast out?
2: Yeah, it's called The Promise. It's really interesting. It's a- You know how Nashville is such a growing city and all these millennials are going there, but it's about... Um, you know, a housing project in a very poor part of the city. And, but around it um, is uh, really fancy big housing happening. And how are these neighborhoods brushing up against each other? It's really good.
1: Wow. That sounds, that sounds very fascinating. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us. And um, we can't wait to read your new book.
0: Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is NewberryTart. That's
2: N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.